0: Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. Don't get me wrong. It's been good here this morning. I've enjoyed worshiping the Lord with you. But I'm looking forward to that day when I get to do it with people of every tribe, every kindred, every race, every nation, every tongue, joining our hearts and our lips together and lifting up praise to the Lord. We'll be in Luke chapter 3 this morning as we continue our study that we began last week through the gospel according to Luke. What if I told you that our generation's most prominent person or people would not be a politician, entertainer, athlete, business owner, or even a scholar. So often as we look at the culture around us, these are the people that are raised up on pedestals. These are the people that we hear about in our daily lives. If I were to start naming names today, there would be many names of which all of us, Would have heard that name because our culture, our society has lifted them up and placed them on a pedestal. But what if I told you that when the annals of history are recorded and gone back through, that it would not be these people who are the prominent people. The people the world often looks to as prominent are not those God records as prominent. Notice how quickly this becomes apparent here in Luke chapter 3 as we begin just the first two verses. The Bible declares, beginning in Luke 3, 1, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias. In the wilderness. When you begin reading Luke three, you wonder where Luke is heading as he names the prominent figures of the day. The Roman Emperor, the four regional rulers of the, the area in which the Jews mainly lived, and the high priests of the Jews are all identified in. The opening of this chapter. And yet, they are not the focus. So, why, Luke? Why open and just list these names? Beyond the historical reasoning, two primary reasons jump off the page. First, God wants to remind you and I that the tenor of the times does not impact what he can do. These leaders were all corrupt. The political leaders, all of them mentioned here, were cruel tyrants who did anything to get what they wanted. Even the religious leaders. These were puppet high priests by This time hand-selected by the Roman Empire to be able to turn and twist according to their desires. They were simply power-hungry hypocrites, more interested in appeasing the world leaders of the day than in pleasing and serving God. Yet none of them could stop or even threaten what God wanted to do. That's important for you and I because the tenor of the times in which we live remind us. This teaches us that the same is true now. We see similarities. We live in a society with corrupt leaders who do whatever they want to get what they want. We live in a time with religious leaders who are more interested in what they can get than what they can give. But our times do not stop or threaten what God is doing or wants to do. And so, friend, let me challenge you today. If you find yourself fearful of the times in which you live... Stop focusing on the times and focus on the God who exists outside of and rules over time. Because no matter how bad it gets around us, nothing will stop what God is doing. Second... We are drawn to recognize that God often works through unexpected means. The authorities, the recognized leaders may be the ones that you would naturally choose as the most prominent, influential people and the ones that God would choose to use. However, God chose unexpected means to do his work. John. In in our terms today, John John was odd. It's putting it kinda of, he was weird. Strange. Here was a guy who from early in his life went out into the wilderness and lived there, dressed in camel skin and ate roasted grasshoppers that he dipped in honey. I mean, just strange. Yet he was the one chosen by God to do his work. God chose John. And by God's choice and enabling, John became a difference maker. And in that is the challenge for you and I today. We can get so wrapped up in the times in which we live. We can be guilty of thinking, well, God's going to choose those type of people, the the prominent people, the important people, the ones that are in the limelight. God's going to choose those kind of people To accomplish his work and make a difference. And what we learn as Luke opens this chapter is that God is not stopped by the leaders of the day. God is not stopped by the philosophy and the culture of the day. No matter how much it opposes and rejects him. And God does not typically choose the expected means of getting his work done. Right where we are today, we can be difference makers for the Lord Jesus Christ. In what ways do we see this come out in John the Baptist's life? I want to show you four aspects of his life that provide lessons for us to apply. That we might be difference makers for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one. We need to apply something of purpose. Look at verses 1 through 6. We read verses 1 and 2. So let's go ahead and jump in at verse 3 now. Speaking of John, the Bible says, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Here, the Bible speaks to us about John's purpose. His life and his ministry were prophesied. And prepared by God. The word of God came to him. That's what the end of verse two told us. He was out in the wilderness. He had already his birth had already been prophesied by God. Not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, in Luke chapter one, when the angel appeared to his father, Zacharias. As he did his work in the temple and told him, you're going to bear a son. And later on in Luke 1, after John is born, Zacharias himself begins to prophesy of the ministry that his son would have and fulfill. And now as John is a man in the wilderness where he has been being prepared by God, the word of God came to him. The word of God didn't come to the emperor. The word of God didn't come to the regional governors. The word of God did not even come to the high priest of God's people. It came to this, at this point, no name guy who was weird living out in the wilderness. For 400 years, there had been no prophet in Israel. No prophet had come on the scene to share God's word. And when God moved at that time, he chose John. Even for his day, again, he was odd. And he proved what Paul would later pen in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 26 through 29, where Paul penned these words, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many noble, not many mighty are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Have you ever been caught up In that thinking or maybe even verbalizing, I don't know how God would use me or why God would. I'm awkward. I'm unskilled. I'm whatever. You fill in the blank. You're exactly the person God wants to use. God is not looking for those who are already something and know they're something. God wants to take someone who thinks they're nothing so that he can make something of them. Paul says God doesn't want someone who's going to glory in himself. God wants to use people who will recognize I'm only something because of the grace of God. I'm only something because God is with me and God is in me and God is doing something through me. All the glory belongs to Him. So, friend, if you've ever been there, I don't know why God would use me. I don't know how God could use me. I don't think God could use me. You're exactly the person that God wants to use. You can be a difference maker. You might say, well, pastor, my life wasn't prophesied like John the Baptist was. And yet your life has no less purpose. And we could actually make the case that, yes, your life was prophesied similar to his was. I could take you to a passage like Ephesians chapter 2, where the Bible is speaking of all those who would come to faith in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, for ye are his Workmanship. You are a mighty story that God is is writing. Your life is. We could go to a passage like Philippians chapter one, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ and recognize if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, God started a work in you and he will keep doing that work until he declares the work is done. So when you look at John's life, When you begin to look around you and think, well, those are the prominent people of the day. Those are the important people of the day. Remind yourself. That what God says and what the world says are different. God knew you before he made you. God saw you before you were complete. He's chosen you. And he has a great purpose for you. Apply something of purpose as we see it here in Luke 3. Number two, apply something of power. Look at verses 7 through 14 of Luke chapter 3. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned beautifully from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, Saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, Neither accuse any falsely. And be content with your wages. This was the message that John regularly preached along these lines. And as we look at it, there's a couple of things I want you to understand. First, we must be careful about taking John's message and using it today. John's message was a pre-Messianic message for the people of Israel, especially Israel's religious Leaders. I want you to see the the progress of his message. John called these people to repentance. And his preaching lines up with the prophets of the Old Testament who called the people to covenant faithfulness and law obedience. And so we have to ask the question was John the Baptist preparing the people for a king or for a savior? If we look at John's message and think of it as a gospel message of salvation, we we realize there's some issues. John called the people to repent and be baptized as necessary for the remission of sins. His message was strictly for the Jews in preparation for the king and his kingdom. And what he says is this, you need to repent and experience a life change so you are ready to receive the Messiah. Now, let me ask you, is that the gospel message? Does God call us to repentance a life change? To receive him? We have to be careful. The Bible, the gospel message is that repentance is part of receiving the Messiah. And life change is an evidence of receiving him. John called them to start living righteously to be ready to receive the Messiah. The gospel is you can't be righteous without the Messiah. So we have to recognize John's message as he preached it is not for us. It was for Israel in preparation for the Messiah, for the one who would present himself to them as their king. Yet, there are applications we can take from John's message. First, the fruit of salvation is a changing life. If you have received Jesus Christ as your savior, the Bible tells me that God is doing a work in you to transform you into the image of his son. Paul wrote, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you trust Jesus Christ as your savior, the Bible says there will be fruit. There will be evidence of that in your life by way of your life being changed, transformed to look more like Jesus. And then I want you to note this application in verses 10 through 15 as he's preaching his message of what characteristics of this changing life look like. You see that. John highlights three things, generosity, justice, and mercy. All right, pastor, if I'm saved, my life should be changed, should be being transformed into the image of Jesus. Well, what does that look like? What qualities or characteristics will be present in my life if it is being changed by Jesus into his image? Generosity. What did John tell the people? Verse number 11 He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Over and over again in the epistles of Paul, especially, we see this recurring theme if you have and you have opportunity, give, do for others. And what is that a fruit of, by the way? Yes, a changing life from salvation, but it's a fruit of love. Go to 1 John chapter 3 again. When you love God and are growing in your love to God, that will be demonstrated by how you love others. Generosity, justice. Justice. The Old Testament, New Testament alike speak much of this idea of justice. Standing up and speaking out for all those who are oppressed, who do not have the the ability to defend themselves. Uh, The New Testament, James says it this way. Pure religion and undefiled before the father is this to visit the widow and the fatherless in in their affliction. And then this idea of mercy, he speaks to the soldiers and says, don't do violence to, to, uh, to man, don't accuse any falsely, be content with your wages. He, he gives here the hint, the idea of being merciful. To being compassionate in pitying others. Now, all of this, if we were to, to wrap it up in a nutshell, what are we seeing John talk about here? I would say power. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, think about it for a moment. First, in the sense of John preaching, where did his power come from? God. The Spirit of God was in him even from the time that he was in his mother's womb. He preached with the power and the authority of God. God. What about what he preached about? The power for a transformed life. Where does that come from? God. You see, friends, the reality is the power was not in John himself. Remember, he wasn't the important, the prominent person of the day according to the world's reckoning. He was the one chosen by God. God found him. God put his word in John. God put his spirit in John. Just as God puts his spirit in you when you trust Jesus as your Savior. The ability to do what God wants you to do is not of you the ability to make a difference for christ is not of you the power to be transformed is not of you all of it is of god the powers of god working through his spirit and through his word and so friends let me encourage you today Do not focus on man, and do not focus on method. Instead, focus on the message, and better yet, where the message came from, God. The power is all of him. You see, if we start to get wrapped up in ourselves, if we start to get wrapped up in what we can do with the resources that we have, if we start to get wrapped up in, well, it's about a particular method, and if we find the right method, then we'll experience the right fruit or the right results. If we get wrapped up in a man, well, if, if God would give us this kind of a man, if God would give us this kind of a person, if only we could, could find that right Person to, to put into the place of ministry, then God would really begin to do something. The focus is all wrong. The powers of God and of Him alone. Number three, apply something of perspective. Pick up in verse 15. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. In other words, everyone is thinking the same thing, though they may not be saying it out loud. Is this guy the Messiah? Is this one the, the one the Old Testament prophesied would come? Verse 16, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff will he burn with fire unquenchable. Many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. Number three, I want you to apply something of perspective. We've seen purpose, we've seen power. Now, now think about perspective. Here's John now. John was a nobody who God made us somebody. But do you know what John's perspective was even then? I'm still a nobody. J.C. Ryle, who was a, a preacher of the 19th century once had the opportunity to speak to a group of preachers. And this was sometime during the 1850s. And during this particular message, he said this, In conclusion, I will remind you of the words the Apostle Paul addressed to the Ephesian elders. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. We are about to part, perhaps to meet no more in this world. Let us solemnly commend one another to God and to the word of his grace as that which will never err, never fail us, never lead us astray. Guided by that word as our light and lamp, we shall last receive an inheritance among them that are sanctified. Above all, let us never forget the advice which Whitfield gave in one of his letters. Let us make much of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are many things of which we may easily make too much in our ministry. Give them too much attention. Think about them too much. But we can never make too much of Christ. As John is preaching in Luke chapter 3... The Bible tells us he preached with such power, he preached with such persuasion, that the people, and yes, even the religious leaders who would so adamantly reject Jesus, began thinking in their hearts this guy must be the Messiah. He must be the Christ. And John is beginning to hear these rumblings. He's a nobody that God made a somebody. And now people are coming to him from all corners of Israel. Even the great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem is sending people to go check out this guy, this weirdo. Find out what he's all about. And John had the opportunity right then and there to make it all about him. To draw the attention to himself, to turn everybody to himself. But he didn't do it. John was being used by God in incredible ways to make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. But John still had that same old perspective. I'm nothing. He is everything. Did you notice what John said about the, the shoe latchet of Jesus. I'm not worthy to even stoop down and unloose it. There's a cultural reference there in the day. In that day, a man, especially a, a man of some means, able to keep house servants or even enslaved people it is part of his property. When he would come home, he would not stoop down and undo his own shoe. That was a job reserved, not for the highest household servant, but for the lowest. It was the lowest, the most humble house servant or enslaved individual who would come and untie or unlatch the shoe or the sandal of his master. Notice what John says. I am not even worthy to do the job of the lowest, humblest servant in the house. Compared to Jesus. I wonder. If that's how we think of ourselves. We're nothing. He's everything. Everyone was praising John and building him up. And he turned all the attention. To Jesus. What kind of perspective do you have as you go through life. Even here in the church, in your daily living, we too can be guilty of making so much about everything else and everybody else. Yes, including ourselves. Let's not be guilty of that. Let's instead focus our attention on making much of Jesus. Because, friends, if we're going to make a difference for Christ, that needs to be our our attitude. That needs to be our perspective. Let's make much of Jesus and exalt him. And then I want you to see, finally, let's apply something of pain. It seems a strange place to end, doesn't it? But what a good reminder. In verses 19 and 20. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him, that is John the Baptist, for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all that he shut up John in prison. Pastor, what, what can I learn from that? What can I take from that ending? to apply to my life to be a difference maker. Do you see in this that John the Baptist was deterred by nothing? Nothing deterred him from doing God's work. Nothing deterred him from preaching God's word, even if it meant angering the cruel, corrupt king. John the Baptist didn't go into Herod's court And Herod had the reputation of being a really merciful and charitable king. No, not at all. Herod had the reputation of being corrupt. Of doing all kinds of nasty things to get what he wanted. When when John the Baptist preached to him, whatever the context was, and preached pointing out his very sins and Works of unrighteousness. I don't think John had any question what the possible result would be. And yet he did not stop doing all that God wanted him to do to make a difference. Though he knew the pain that could come. Friends, can I remind you, the Bible teaches us clearly that doing right does not cushion you from pain. We want that, don't we? If we could walk through life with a proverbial massive bubble around us, if we could live life as it were, laying in some big cushy pillow, that's really what we would like, isn't it? That's what we want. And sometimes through wrong teaching, Sometimes, through wrong understanding of God's word, we think that doing right means that life should be like that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In, in reality, the Bible even says things contrary to that, that there will be pain, there will be suffering for righteousness' sake. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I wonder if we are as committed as John was. That pain, the possibility of suffering would not deter us from doing what God would have us to do. It shouldn't. By God's grace and his help, may we pray that it won't. The people the world often looks to as prominent are not those God records. If you're still determining whether or not this is true, I would ask you to consider a biblical illustration that foreshadowed a biblical principle that supports that statement. First, I want you to notice what Jesus said about Mary when she anointed his body and his feet and then dried his feet with her hair. This is what the Bible records about it in Mark 14, 6 through 9. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial for her. Jesus spoke about Mary, her act, her work for him. Throughout the rest of time, wherever the gospel, the good news of Jesus is preached, so will this act of Mary be remembered. Others considered her behavior inappropriate, calling it a waste. But Jesus commended the work and her. Mary's action and more specifically, Jesus' recognition of that action, illustrate the truth of the biblical rep- principle recorded in Hebrews 6.10, which is for all of us. What does it say there? Notice. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of what? Of what? Love. Love which ye have showed toward his name and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. What is the penman of Hebrews saying? God neither forgets his people, their work or their labor of love that is primarily evidenced through their ministry to each other. You see, here's what you and I need to take with us today. If we want to be difference makers for the Lord Jesus Christ, being a difference maker for the Lord Jesus Christ ties right back to Love God and love others. As you're doing it in 2023, the world around you may not make a big deal about your work, your acts. You might not show up in the national evening news. Your name may not be recorded in the history books taught in school from now until whenever. Something far greater will be true. You'll make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will keep record of it in the eternal log in heaven. Do you want to be a difference maker for the Lord Jesus Christ? Learn some lessons from the life of John the Baptist. Apply something of purpose, of power, of that perspective, and yes, even of pain. Determine to be a difference maker for the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? (coughs)